Hello, everybody. Welcome to your very favorite Bronze Age Spider-Man podcast. Here comes the Spider-Cast. I am your co-host, Michael, and as always, I'm joined by... Joshua Mervell, and today we're going to be taking a look at Spidey Comics from June of 1985. That's right, and uh, on top of our regular co-hosts, G.I. Jolie and Becca, we Ooh. also have... Yes, say hi. Hello. Hi, guys. Thank you for joining us again. <laughs> for, for a brief moment, I thought you guys forgot about tonight's episode, so I'm glad that you're here. It's a special one. Um, well, yeah, Mike was the first to the call, and that's very rare. So Very rare, yes. It's because I'm so excited. Because we got our special guest tonight, and that's Phil Premerol. Thanks for coming back, Phil. Thanks for having me back. Is this your second or third appearance? I don't remember. Uh, this is my second time on the cast, yeah. Awesome, okay. So the reason I wanted to have you back is because tonight is the beginning of a new era, at least in my eyes. So tonight is the we're going to be reviewing Peter Parker and Spectacular Spider-Man 103, which is the first ever comic book written by Peter David, who's one of my favorite writers, always has been. He's the first comic book writer that I've followed by name. And I probably have, I don't know how many comics I've got by him, hundreds. I mean, he did a 12-year run on the Hulk. He did a three or four-year run on Spider-Man. He did uh, Captain Marvel. He's done Supergirl, Aquaman. Uh, So anyway, I've read tons of his comics. Phil, are you familiar with his work at all? Not really. I mean, okay. I may have read him before in the past and just not known it. But yeah, like you say, I haven't followed him or anything. Gotcha. Okay. Is anyone else here familiar with Peter David? <laughs> not from Spider-Man. Okay. Has anyone read this, the Aquaman comics where he had the hook arm? He has the hook? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's Peter David. Oh, okay. Then yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Supergirl, when she was a shape-changing alien that... Turned into an angel at one point and had fire wings. Remember her? No. No. Not that one. That does not ring a bell. I feel like I'd remember that. Okay, okay. Oh, he wrote Spider-Man 2099. Oh, Okay, yeah. yeah. There you go. That's Peter David. Okay. But anyway, he's written pretty much every character at both Marvel and DC. Uh, So I'm really excited to get to his comic, but before we get to that, we are going to review Web of Spider-Man, which, Phil, the last time you were with us, did not exist, but uh, we would have reviewed uh, Marvel Team-Up, which at this point had been cancelled and replaced replaced by by a comic with the exact same writer and artist. So, (laughs) number three... Uh, Josh, yeah, Josh, tell us what this one's about. Sure. Okay, so we start off with uh, The Vulture... Uh, Adrian Toomes, and he breaks out of prison. He builds himself a set of prison wings, and he (laughs) flies out. Uh, And then after that, we catch up with Spider-Man, and he he has the hat for Aunt May again as he's swinging through the city, uh, helping save some people, and he goes on a date with MJ. And the vulture is trying to. The, the vulture has escaped to stop the vulturians from doing mm-hmm. their thing and kind of uh, giving the vulture a bad name. And he's also really angry about um, them stealing his his tech because that's kind of like his villain origin as well. Um, is right. he 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 turned into the vulture as we know it now because his partner stole his technology. Um, and he wanted revenge. Right. So it's kind of like a mirror on that story. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so pretty much we just kind of uh, MJ and Peter's date is interrupted and uh, Spider-Man has to go and stop and kind of like break up this fight between the Vulturians and the Vulture and um, sprinkled throughout we also get a little bit of Aunt May and how she's having money trouble and she's going to be losing the house soon if she can't come up with money but uh, yeah it's really just kind of a fight that nothing super important happens uh, the, the Vulture ends up getting away and by the end of the comic the Vulturians um uh are all detained and vulture gets away and spider-man ends up blacking out from one of the poison darts from the vulturian so he doesn't get to uh chase after the vulture and we kind of get this little epilogue afterwards of uh spider-man the next morning waking up going back to his place and mj meets him there and she drops off the hat that he left her um, aunt may's uh, birthday present he left it at the restaurant so he needs to swing by and drop it off to her uh, because it's too late for him to mail it. And we kind of get this this sweet little moment of Aunt May opening up the present and kind of you, you get the sense that she still has like Peter. Peter now knows that she still has a soft spot for him and that she still like really loves and cares about him, thinks about him all the time. So, right. yeah, it's a it's a pretty good story, I think. Um it, nothing crazy happens. It, it, it definitely feels like uh, it feels almost like an in-between story. Like it's wrapping up the story with the Vulturians, but also introducing us to a new one. Um, right, right. Nothing crazy really happens. I'm kind of enjoying Webb so far, um, even if it is the same writer as Marvel Team Up. I feel like they're not as like trapped and forced to make right. two characters that don't belong in the same comic book together, like be friends and, well. and like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to do something. Uh, it, it really feels like this is a classic real Peter Parker story where he completely 100% belongs in this comic. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Well, then you'll be sad to know this is Louise Simonson's last issue. Oh, interesting. Because okay, well. She, she, yes, she's being replaced by the editor that quit the book to write the comic. He was so success, successful, he lasted about five issues and then <laughs> didn't write a comic again for like 10 years. Anyway, huh. so yeah. Oh, wow. So we should enjoy it while it lasts. Um, so, Phil, this is your first uh, issue, I believe, of Web of Spider Man. Probably your first comic you read by Louise Simonson. Uh, what's your impression of this one? Uh, well, I, I can't say that I really loved it uh, too much. Um, okay, I, feel like, fair. <laughs> I feel like Josh's explanation of the book left enough uh, for, for my imagination to run with a better storyline than actually what happened on the page. Mm. Um, to me, anyway, I, I mean, it just, it, I guess I should preface this by saying it, it seems like this one out of the three that we're reviewing is written for the youngest audience, right? Sure. So it's always hard for me to kind of judge those um, a, a little bit because, you know, I, I came in at comics a lot later and read sort of more adults-oriented kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It, it feels like, I don't know, like, for instance, the first scene, uh, and, you know, Josh even chuckled uh, explaining this part where, you know, he happens to lift his... <laughs> happens to lift his bunk and he has ready-made... <laughs> super wings uh, ready to fly off and, and break out you know it's, right. it's kind of like well if you're going to write that kind of 
detail into a story, you know, it, you're going to either have to give more information or just skip it all together. You know what I mean? Like, what do right. I do? Make it out of shivs? Uh, I'm not sure exactly, you know, and how is he able to... It's just a bunch of toothbrushes taped together. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right? Some clothespins or something. You know, I'm not sure. And then to be able to hide it under a bunk at Rikers, I'm not sure if they've ever tossed a bunk there or not, but I imagine it'd be pretty difficult. I don't know. I, I guess I'm probably just looking at it a little too... Uh, too closely, but I, I feel like the writer's kind of trying to and, and uh, learning about the history of these things, you know, when I'm on these calls with you guys is great because it kind of puts everything into perspective, but it feels like uh, the writer's just trying to throw too many things in all at once, right? So right. you have the mm-hmm. Vulturians, you have uh, the main bad guy, you have the subplot of uh, of the birthday party and the present with uh, with Spidey and his aunt, and then you have the love story, um, which is just kind of tossed in, but then at the end it kind of <clears throat> makes it all come together. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, I feel like it just it, it had s- too much action and not enough sort of like real plot going on. Mm-hmm. If that's at all an explanation. <laughs> well, and and to make it even worse, to be honest, is this is sort of like the third issue of the same story so it's kind of been repeating itself mm-hmm. three issues now which makes it even yeah. worse for us and there's mm-hmm. not really much happening during the fights either like right. it's kind of just a lot of them flying around fighting each other right, there's not right, like right. there's not really a goal for any of them like vulture is just angry yeah. so he's fighting them the vulturians are trying to get away so they're fighting and spider-man right. just is just kind of in the middle so there isn't really like a goal and there isn't really anything clever that happens too in the fight it's just kind of like they're fighting in the sky yep i agree Mm -hmm. well Uh, it is definitely like the cleanest version of events i would mm -hmm. have to say at least they didn't try to shoehorn kingpin and Mm -hmm. um (laughs) like they because that's what they did in the last one Uh, and it felt like very team uppy. And this one, I it's funny that uh, Phil says all of these things about this 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 particular issue because, in my mind, compared to the other issues that he didn't have to read, um, this one was like <laughs> the storyline was uh, had the most logical through. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, and then the side plots that they incorporated were like seem more seamless than the the other books like this was the cleanest book (laughs) and now now that i think about it it's like maybe maybe it's not but no it definitely is yeah compared to the other ones yeah yeah so you should have read the book where he had to go and buy the dang hat (laughs) (laughs) can i just say I'm so glad that the hat has been delivered, and now there's no now no more hat. Right, right. <laughs> Wait yeah. d- until next issue when a bad guy comes and Steal steals the hat. hat. Yeah. <laughs> no, the vulture's gonna steal Aunt May's hat. She just got it. It's clearly very important to her. And that's to the Spider-Man. Thing. It was a cool like MacGuffin when they first introduced it, but now this is the fourth time they've brought it back, so it's a little bit ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
But, she doesn't um, even put it on. It, it's also <laughs> such a weird subplot to be like, I need to get to the, the post office or this hat is <laughs> right. never going to see Aunt May on her birthday. Right. And the entire time I'm like, just swing. To, You're Spider-Man. What are you, what are you talking about? I know. <laughs> and like the fact that there's what? that, I'm trying to find out that gigantic <laughs> clock, that digital clock that reads five o'clock. Yeah, it's, to it's show a, that, oh, he missed the, the, the deadline. Page right. 20. It's right. on page Act, 20. Yeah. Like it's a like, couple. No. Yeah. <laughs> a couple pages before that too, there was a billboard that said hat on it and it reminded him again. Right. Cause he forgot. You know, mid fight. Right. Well, okay, so, sorry, Becca, go ahead. No, he's just like, he's in the middle of swinging, he's like, oh, I gotta get the vulture, and then he's he's on that billboard, he's like, oh no, Aunt May's hat, I forgot it, I gotta go back. (laughs) No, you don't. It's with Mary Jane, it's safer with her. Uh Uh-huh. So, but here's just with Mary Jane, why didn't, and she knows who you are, why didn't you just say, Mary Jane, I'm not talking to Aunt May right now, and I know you guys are still soulmates, can you deliver this for her and tell her it's from me? Like, or just your... drop off the package at the post office. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right? But like, is this all the same day? Like, he had to drop it off to get it delivered that night. I don't understand how the he, post works. He in needed New York. to. He needed to go to the post office to send it. That way, it would get there in time for her birthday the next day. That's oh, the next yeah. day. I was like. I don't understand what's happening here. Cause yeah, and it's also so funny that like the next day she's like, "Hey, I know this hat was super important to you, and the last thing you said to me before the vulture crashed our date was that you needed to go to the post office to send this." Um, I, <laughs> I didn't, didn't do that for you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I, I will say, I, I actually kind of like the line in um, at, at the end of this issue with MJ. And she kind of says, like, listen, there's nothing to talk about with us. Um, it's over. Don't mm-hmm. you understand? I, can st- I can't I can stand seeing you hurt like this. Right. It's just my cowardice that's keeping us apart. And then as she leaves, she says, but what's keeping you apart from Aunt May? Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I thought it was kind of a nice way to be like, listen, we're over. But, you know, just because you're Spider-Man doesn't, ne- doesn't mean all of your relationships need to end. And you don't need to put... You don't always need to put Spider-Man first. And I thought it was kind of a nice way to um, to say that without having the characters just flat out say right, right, right. what they're yep, feeling. Yep. So this Becca- is where Josh tells us he's Spider-Man and quits the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. So, Becca, I know you said you didn't really like it, but what do you think of the ending, the last page? Did that, did that get you in the feels at all? No. Okay. <laughs> Next. <laughs> no, I just, I just, I don't know. I just, I was reading it and I'm like, oh, thank God the hat's done. Like, I'm, I'm not. Like, their fight is stupid, and we're obviously you're reading it, so you're on the outside perspective. But it's like, why aren't they talking to each other again? Oh, he dropped out of school. Okay, so you're not gonna talk to him. He's still poor and like mm-hmm. 19. <laughs> but the, just, in the, well, and the funny thing is, is in reader time, that was like. That was like 18 months ago, but maybe yeah. in their time it was like oh, two weeks ago. Who knows, right? Yeah, like, are they still mad at each other? How long has it been? Like, oh my God, get over it. Right, Like, right. it seems really petty at this point, comp- considering everything that's going on. <laughs> like, Aunt May's going to lose the house, and right. Peter's getting the shit kicked out of him all the time. <laughs> <Right>. I, uh... <laughs> she doesn't know that, but yeah. 
So Phil, I'm excited th- about the vulture though. Yeah, he's cool. Mm-hmm. I do like the vulture a lot. Yeah, I mean, it was ridiculous how he got out of jail, but I was nice to see him again. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> but Phil, did yeah. you like that last page at all? Did it hit you in the the feels at all, or no? Yeah, I thought actually the mm-hmm. last page was a nice touch, right? Because the writer actually she really did a good job in at least wrapping it up, right? Right, right. Like, I, right. I didn't have to read the other issues like you guys did. But, uh, <laughs> you know, in terms of this one issue, you know, it, I think I thought it was a nice button on the end. There you go. I'll definitely agree that she probably writes for a younger audience. She, I mean, she she's most famous for writing Power Pack, mm. and, which is for kids with superpowers, and also writing X Factor, where they train little kids. So that's probably her forte, but... I do like her stuff, though. Um, like we said before, it's certainly a giant improvement over previous writers who were doing Marvel Team Up. Mm-hmm. So, and unfortunately, I think starting next issue, it's going to get a lot worse with Danny Fingeroth. But it's been a while since I've read them, but we'll see. So, yeah. I enjoyed this issue. I thought it was fun. It's not a masterpiece. It's a little bit, you know, of a retreat of other stories we've just previously read, but I still give it a mild recommendation at least. Uh, Josh, what about you? Um, yeah, I think that I would recommend this one the most out of the three that we've read so Ooh, far. Really? Of web. Yeah. Okay. Oh, um, of web, okay. Of web, of web, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> and uh, I, th- I think that, I mean, I don't know how things are going to go, but if somebody wanted to read Web, I'd probably show them this one to kind of there get the go. whole gist of the story with Vulture and the Vulturians. Because really, up until this point, what the Vulturians, their whole backstory is the fact that they stole from Vulture and they've just been robbing banks. And you see that in this. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the the one thing that was uh, pretty ridiculous in this issue on top of um, Vulture escaping is I love that the guys chasing the Vulture in the helicopter are like reminiscing about his backstory. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> I forgot about that. I was going to point that out to you. That's hilarious. Uh, I, love, I love that. Like that's, that's super Wait, funny. Let me just read a couple bubbles. Yeah, Fred, I've heard about the Vulture and he's flying fast enough to make me believe what I've heard. You really think he can fly 100 miles per hour? See for yourself, Fred. I'm clocking him. But we're gaining on him some. Like, ooh, yeah, that's bad. Like, yeah. everything's good. Like, if this was a TV show, I would take this plot and I would use it, but I would change, like, all the dialogue. Yeah. But he's like, no sure. way, bro. Look, he's headed for the subway tunnels, right? <laughs> yeah. I love the use of bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, these, yeah, these right. pilots that work for the prison system. What up, bro? Yeah, you're right. Okay. I didn't notice that. Uh, but if that if that old bird's crazy, Charlie, he's crazy like a fox. Yeah, this is pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, it, she does that throughout. Actually, the the cops do the same thing, uh, and they kind of <laughs> mm-hmm. give away plot details. Like I read about mm-hmm. them in the bugle. They got yeah. poison darts. You know. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Well, yeah. I've said. Oh, I, go ahead, Becca. I was just gonna say it almost makes the first two issues completely irrelevant to read. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. everything is just recapped. Yep, yep. Except there wasn't a guy in the street being, "Oh, I wonder if the kingpin's in his apartment watching this." Mm. <laughs> that would have been the only other thing to add, yeah. right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I just really quick. I've said before, one of my pet peeves is when whenever superheroes meet a villain they've never met, they'll always say, "I read the file on this gay on this guy, and I know that he can fill in the blanks." 
shoot darts, fly with wings he made in prison, blah, blah, blah. They always know all the powers of the other guy. But anyway. Who is that, Phil? Were you going to say something? Uh, no, no. Oh, Josh? <laughs> oh, I, I, I can't remember what I was going to say, but okay. yeah, I, I thought that this one was like, like a classic, uh, like a little corny at times right. comic book. Yeah. Uh, it, it was fun. I, I, I had fun reading this one. Okay, G.I. Jolie, do you recommend this one? Yeah. Skip the other ones. Read just this one. Mm-hmm. Really? I mean, if unless you want to watch... Um, sorry, unless you want to experience Kingpin watching Singing in the Rain briefly, sure, read that one. <laughs> but, like... All right. Yeah. <laughs> just don't bother with the others. I, okay. I will say to you, I really didn't like this cover. Really? You don't say because it's John Byrne. I didn't like the background. Loves, but it's not great. You're right. It, it The background is just crazy it's a photo. wild. It, it, like It's just a photo that's been uh, Xeroxed and just colored in. It, it Yeah, it's just way, way too busy. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I don't know. Hmm. I did like favorite. the art on the inside, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Greg LaRock's art, it's getting better every issue. Like the close-up of the vulture on original page seven yeah is great yeah. Like, i love him perched and just like waiting for the vulturians to make a mistake so he could swoop in like a vulture it's so yeah. good i i love uh that imagery of, of him like perched there mm-hmm. and he's starting to do really cool things with um the framing of uh the contents of each of the panels too like original six um there's just there's four Vulturians, but there's four panels in that row. So it's like the the wing of the Vulturian comes out and into the gutter, and he does that quite often. Right. Um, and then he kind of like employs the bleed to be part of the, the book, too. Well, you don't see that very often in mm-hmm. books from this era. So I think that's really like a nice touch. Um, also, the art is like... The kind of look of the Vulturians and the Vulture is very Art Deco. So a lot of the mm. architecture in New York like sort of matches mm. their 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 aesthetic, which plays well together. Like all around, it's it's really it's really nice to see them flying around the city. It doesn't like um, interfere with each other. Right. Good point. Yeah. It's, it's kind of nice. I really like the art in this one too. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely gotten better in the last few like months or whatever uh mm-hmm. becca do you recommend this one yeah sure skip the first two all you gotta know is kingpin buys the hat i don't know if that's gonna come up again it probably won't so it's <laughs> irrelevant but yeah no in, and i noticed in this one especially compared to the other two it was way easier to follow what the action was going on like mm. the, the previous two there's there's too many there's the four vulturions and they're like getting it doesn't matter who's who and, it, and it, this one even though there's fighting with the vulture, you could still kind of keep track of what's happening. I appreciated that a little right. bit more. Yep. Yep. And then on original page 11, my favorite thing is the half spidey face. Love me a half oh, spidey face. Yes, me too. Me too. It's my favorite thing. Yeah. So I came across that in my first ever Spider-Man comic when I was like five years old and I, I didn't get it. I'm like, wait a minute, does he have half a mask on? What is going on? You know, <laughs> I figured it out eventually though. <laughs> Mike's still confused about it to this day. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Phil, do you recommend this comic? 
Uh, I'd have to say no, <laughs> but Ooh. I would recommend it to a younger crowd. There you go. All right. Yeah. Or simpletons like us. Anyway, okay. Read <laughs> Spider-Man of the Week. All right. I like okay. how there was pretty colors. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now we are going to move on to Amazing Spider-Man 265, which is in the middle of the semi-classic run by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. And Phil, you have volunteered to summarize this issue for us, right? Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> Do the so yeah, it's uh, Amazing Spider-Man 265. Uh, I don't know if it's the introduction of the Black Fox, but the Black Fox is the main bad guy here. Uh, like you said, uh, yeah, written by Tom DeFalco and art by Ron Friends. Yeah. Which uh, the art was really cool in this. Um, so, I mean, uh, I wrote a little blurb about it. So Cool. <laughs> when a, a final sale goes awry, an aging super thief, a.k.a. the Black Fox... Uh, is stopped from retiring and forced to go on a run while pursued by a mercenary agency and, of course, Spider-Man. So it starts off with, uh, with the deal gone bad. He's trying to sell some, uh, some jewels. And uh, this, of course, gets broken up by the cops. And uh, the entire time, uh, the Black Fox is, is talking about how, uh, you know, this is his last job, but, you know, like many last jobs... Uh, it turns out not to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> so not only is he running away from the cops, but there's these sort of this other, we don't know who they are at first, but this other sort of agency, uh, these sort of mercenaries that are after him as well. Uh, and then it cuts to, I don't know how deep I'm supposed to go into explaining every single plot point here, guys. But, uh, it, I mean, we do, you know, catch up with Peter Parker um, you know, his old yeah, you, you don't have to go, like, crazy deep. You can just kind of summarize whatever to the best of your ability. <laughs> as deep as you feel comfortable, Phil. Yeah, mm-hmm. however, okay. you wanna, however you want to recap. Is, it, you're good. Okay, great. <laughs> so, uh, so Peter is at, at, the, uh, at the birth of his, uh, as, of his friend Harry, Harry Osborne. Uh, or, yeah, Harry Osborne. Uh, mm-hmm. His little baby. And, uh, you know... Uh, things are starting to churn a little bit for uh, <laughs> for his girlfriend. They're not married at this point, right? Mary Jane and him? No, no, they're no. not even oh, okay. dating at this point. Yeah. Oh, they're not even dating. Oh, well, they have dating. dated. They have they have dated and been engaged, but now they're not dating. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. 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 He just broke up with Black Cat. Yeah. Oh yes. Okay. He also slept with a you know Sean of the She Devil, but one. we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. So I'm messing this up a little bit. So anyway, <laughs> these these sort of uh, moments in life uh, are sort of catching up with him. But, you know, he's busy, too busy, um, just like in the issue that we just talked about, fighting crime. And he sort of catches up with, uh, with the Black Fox and uh, starts to beat off these guys that are... Um, the, that was the wrong phrasing. Uh, <laughs> to these guys <laughs> that were on top, <laughs> that were trying to capture him, and uh, and then from there we get an introduction to this unit who's head, uh, who is uh, which is headed up by the Silver Sable. Silver Sable. Sable. Thank you. Yeah. Silver Sable. And and we kind of figure out, you know, she's she's just a, a gun for hire, and oh, uh, and has been set out to uh, to capture 
uh, the black fox here. Right. And two, of course, uh, just like the other one, we have the storyline with uh, with Peter on the outs with uh, Aunt May. Mm-hmm. And we get a great little introduction with Aunt May and her partner here and, and how uh, she's sad that, you know, they've left it at this. And yet um, Peter is still, you know, constantly getting interrupted and having to chase after people. Uh, so in the end, you know, he, he catches up uh, with with the black fox and the and her, his pursuers there uh, fights them off uh, and then allows the black fox to get away uh, because the, turns out the black fox is going through the same kind of thing in his his own life right. uh, where his own um, where his own work has taken him away from his family and the things that he finds important right yeah and in the end of course there's a nice little button on this one too. Uh, which is really nice, actually, uh, compared to um, the last issue that we talked about, uh, where you know Peter uh, comes back to Aunt May and uh, and they, you know, make up. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah, it was a sweet little ending. Yeah. Did you like this one better or worse than Web? Me? Yeah, Phil. Oh yeah, I liked it way better. Okay. Uh, way okay. better. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I, I felt like there was just a, a great sort of uh, the way the drawings all came together, the writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a great narrative that went throughout, and just it, the writer. I don't know. Uh, you know, at first I thought, you know, maybe it's because this is a newer because the artwork looks so much newer, but it's not. It's like literally the same month of the same year, right, nineteen eighty five, right, right, right. So I thought, oh wow, that's that's unbelievable. The difference between the two, and they really hit upon the same themes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just I just love the narrative. I love the opening scene where you kind of get get a, a hint of who the black fox is as a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I love that he's like thick as thieves with this guy, his buyer, um, right. before everything you know sort of goes uh, goes to shit. Really, <laughs> unfortunately, right, right, right. the the scene where you know he's there for Harry's son's. Uh, uh, birth is just it's it's spot on and I mean, it's literally one page right one right, page right. and he's able, uh, you know he's able to capture like everything the tone and the mood and all of the feelings that surround that mm-hmm. i really liked it and then particularly at the end uh i, I like the way that um that everything was brought back together with uh with aunt may and peter just having a right. moment there well, you know, uh, I just want to say quick, uh, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, they are disciples of Stanley and Jack Kirby. And so you're basically getting their version, their 1985 version of Lee and Kirby, right, at their peak. So, you know, the way this story is told is absolutely the way a 60s Marvel comic would be told. You jump in with this big splash page, you introduce the character, something happens, the character's on the run, back and forth, chase scene, then cut over to, you know, a subplot, and that's exactly the way 60s Marvel Marvel comics were, and I think that's why, even though I don't think it's a masterpiece, it's a little bit superficial, I think that this era of uh, Spider-Man comics are really fun, because DeFalco and friends really get that, you know, style of storytelling, and I think that's what makes it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Becca, what do you think? Did you like this one? Uh, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Um, I like the Silver Sable. I think this is the first... Is this the first introduction of her? Yeah, this is the first appearance, yep. Oh, yeah, because I was like, I wonder if, like, she's been in, in anything before this that I know of, but, but no, I looked it up and I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure this is the first time 
she's been involved. I like her because she's like a weird, amoral, like not bad guy, not good guy. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Babe. Right. Um, but she's kind of just thrown in there, and it's just like, oh, this is the Silver Sable. And she's here. Here she is. Like, mm. I, it's interesting for an introduction. I guess she's more of a side character anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, is she supposed to be a bad guy, or is she just she, one of the wild bunch? She's, she's the owner, the leader of the wild bunch, or the wild pack. Yeah, so she's like a mercenary for hire, but like, also deals in weapons, but like, isn't specifically a bad guy, but she's definitely not a good guy. Mm, okay. Um, and then like... Obviously, I'm very familiar with her because she's in the Spider-Man video games as mm-hmm. on, like the DLC. So like, and you like work with her. Mm. So it's just cool to see where she's come from and and stuff like that. No, I I enjoyed it. I like the the Black Fox. Um, I think I've read other stuff with him before. He looks kind of familiar. Or maybe I'm just thinking about that Simpsons episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? Where the black it, box comes out of retirement? There's literally a cat burglar guy who looks exactly like this guy in The Simpsons. Oh, you know really? what? Doesn't it? It also reminds me of Cary Grant in To Catch a Thief. This is exactly what he looked like. So maybe oh, yeah. that's what they were all kind of drawing from. I don't know. So everyone gets that reference, but no one understands my Simpsons reference? No. no I, I remember. Doesn't he like... Uh, he doesn't hook up with somebody... Or maybe he does in order to dupe. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, something like that. And then, then he um, he tricks them all into like digging underneath a, a big tea pine, uh, like a uh, palm tree, and oh. like. Oh. And then they find out that it's just it was friendship. It was the treasure. <laughs> right. I think I do remember that. <laughs> and then Chief Wiggum says, "No, dig up, stupid." That's that episode. <laughs> oh. Okay, but okay. yeah, like then the guy looks exactly like this, so I wonder if he was based he off of does. the Black Fox at all. Um, Malloy, I knew it. I was like, he's got a tie to the family, isn't he? Friends with Abe. Yes. Yeah, he's a cat burglar, and he lives in the Springfield retirement castle. There we go. <laughs> That's it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, okay, sorry. Yeah. Back to Spider Man. Yeah, it just reminded me of that guy, and and I do like how Spidey lets him go at the end. Like that's always great because mm-hmm. he's like. Yeah, he's a bad guy, but at the end of the day, he's just stealing jewels. He's not hurting anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, there are some crimes, like, Spider-Man doesn't need to be getting involved in the crimes where nobody gets hurt. Like, it's just like a... He's like, yeah, go be with your family. Which could have been a lie, which I still think maybe is a lie. And he's like, ha, I tricked you, Spider-Man. I don't have a family. <laughs> yeah, and you know what's really crazy, too, is that he kind of tricked Peter into thinking about Aunt May, and he appealed to his... He appealed to his um, the the family guy, haha, in in <laughs> Pete Peter to like, you know, allow him to escape. He's like, you know what, this is very triggering. The things that you're saying about having a wife and children out of country, like uh, right now, he's he knows he's not talking to his his aunt May. So he's like, you know what, I'm gonna make sure that this guy sees um, his his family again. So I'm gonna help him, whatever. And then, what does he do? He calls Aunt May at the end? Um, well, does he? He goes to visit her. Oh, he goes he, like, to shows her. up. Yeah. And then she breaks a plate, because, obviously. Yeah. I had a question about the black suit. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, didn't he already decide that he was going to... One, the only thing that this establishes, the constant reuse of this black suit, 
is that he's lazy and hates laundry as much as I do. Right, right, right. <laughs> but this is... I love yeah. that. It's crazy. I... Oh, sorry, this is one article of clothing that he just refuses to to either burn or wash, and it's his stupid Spider-Man suit. Right. Why doesn't he just have spares? Yeah. I think he does, day. too. That's the thing. I- I'm pretty sure he's talked about having spares before, and yeah, it's strange that he keeps going back to this one, and it's also weird that the, like, the writer's want to keep going back to this one after they got rid of the symbiote costume like it, you know it looks cool and it sells comics and it also yeah. sells toys because what they had Rich. done was they they created the black costume had the toy out and then they when they they got scared and so the the alien costume only lasted like what eight issues but then mm-hmm. they're like oh crap everyone likes the alien costume and everyone's buying the toys so we got to bring it back but we'll make it cloth and so that's why they keep going back and forth on both of them to keep selling mm. both versions of the toy. It's just weird because his ex-girlfriend made it. Like, stop, wear- throw it out. Mm. Right. Yeah. right. Like, you'll never get over her. You gotta toss your ex's clothes out of your closet. Damn. Especially the ones that they, they hand make for you. <laughs> I love it. So like, is that a common theme? What's Sorry, that? Becca, I didn't mean to no, cut no, you off. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was I was gonna say, is that a common theme throughout these? Because I, I thought that was really funny the way that they kept bringing it back. It was just a little callback throughout the entire thing. Do you mean the black costume or the laundry? The the black costume. I thought the laundry was kind of a, an odd an odd reason for him to wear it. Like, why don't you just pick it? You know, <laughs> just, right. you don't have to put in the laundry excuse. But is is the laundry excuse a, a thing? Like, oh in, yeah, in past comics. Oh yeah, there are episodes where he'll leave. He'll like put it on the wrong setting and his costume will come out all like bleached and he'll, oh. like the whole issue his costume will be like light pink and light blue it's hilarious oh that's funny <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and so or yeah go he'll ahead leave it, he'll leave it soaking in the sink <laughs> right right like yeah. right <laughs> yeah awesome. it's like a, just a callback of peter just being incapable of washing clothes on his own because he's a big like 19 year old mess up living alone by himself for the first time and he has no idea how to do laundry or cook dinner or any of that stuff right mm-hmm. but also like stop wearing black cat's outfit like stop it <laughs> so she's like in her apartment in her full leathers looking out the window and she just sees her ex-boyfriend wearing the costume she made for him maybe i have a chance now like no you don't want her to come back she's crazy Josh, have you given your review yet? Make sure that he doesn't swing purposely around or near her window (laughs) in that costume. Like, I would. Because that's the kind of psychopath I am. Be like, you know what? I really need to wear this t-shirt that an ex left at my house. But he happens to be my neighbor. So when I I wear it on that day, I'm going to leave out the back door so he doesn't see it. (laughs) That's absolutely what he does. I think Becca and, and Jolie should get together and write that. Uh, I, I would read that for sure. <laughs> you know, how, how him wearing this costume now leads him to start thinking of an ex-girlfriend now. And, you know, how he's now going to get together with her and so on. I, I think that'd be great. I'd read that. I am never writing Peter Parker getting back together with Black Cat. I will never read any of that ever again. I'm scarred. I'll write it, but I'll never read it. I'll never read it. 
<laughs> I am scarred by the on again, off again. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, yeah. Josh, what do you think? Have you given your official review yet? Uh, no, it's it's pretty good. It it's kind of actually really similar to the first issue. Um, right, web in the sense, yeah, it, it, with with web, um, you get the same kind of themes with Aunt May and him kind of, uh, you know, struggling with that relationship, kind of being on the rocks. Um, he's dealing with like an old nemesis. In this one, he ends up teaming up with the nemesis at the end of the day but kind of like tricking him into stealing the the gems as well to hand back to sable um and then yeah we get the kind of like again that same sweet ending with aunt may but this time we finally get the reunion and yeah it's crazy to think that readers at the time would have waited well over a year for peter to speak to aunt may again right right because it's been well over 12 issues since he dropped out. Well, not only is it 12 issues, but when you're a kid, 12 months is like 12 years, right? It's crazy, yeah. You can go through so much in that time, yeah. It's like an eternity to wait for just a new issue to come out. But anyway, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's a whole different thing. But yeah, the ending was great. Mm-hmm. And when you're reading it like that, like monthly, it feels like a year passes in the comics as well, almost. Right, right. So, right. It, it, like, for us, it's like, oh, yeah, it's been a couple of months or, you know, a couple of weeks maybe since he's talked to Aunt May. But then it's like it's been over a year and he hasn't talked to the woman that raised him. Right, right, So, right. yeah. Yeah, It's it, it, so it was definitely sweet to kind of see this reun- reunion. And it was, like, really simple which I enjoyed right. as well. Like it wasn't the, there, there wasn't too much dialogue or right. like thought bubbles going on. It was pretty straightforward where, you know, he just kind of comes in and says, hello, I may have missed you. And then she says, I've missed you too. And that was it. And there's a yeah. couple of panels at the end where there's no dialogue at all. And it's just mm-hmm. kind of them looking at each other. So it's, yeah, it's, it's great. Uh huh. Very effective. Yep. Mm hmm. So, Phil, do you recommend this comic? Yeah, I definitely recommend it, for sure. Really? Huh. Yeah. What that? Okay. Back up? Sure, why not? That's right. fun. <laughs> Another classic Spidey story. Uh, Jolie, what do you think? Oh. oh. <laughs> no. Less We're all feeling it. No. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know. Like... Usually I'd say something crazy like read the shampoo bottle, read your cereal box, and read anything else except for this. But it's like, no, it's okay. But, you know, the instructions that come with your like universal remote control are more interesting mm-hmm. than most of what happened. Hmm. I guess. I, I don't know. I just... Nothing blew me away about the book. It was just the um. same kind of thing. It was fine. <laughs> See, for it me, wasn't bad. Let's say that. See, this to me, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends are like Taco Bell. Okay, I have it every week. Usually it's good. Sometimes it's terrible, but it's it's at least it's consistent. I know what I'm gonna get. That's what Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends are. Okay. Well, do you know what? <laughs> they got rid of like they got rid of some classics, and I cannot forgive Taco Bell. So I guess I can't forgive these two. Apparently, that's a pandemic thing. Hey. Oh, really why what? apparently it's it has to do with like 
getting certain supplies for certain oh. recipes and after the pandemic is done they're going to be bringing back to bringing stuff back to the menu Good. okay so yeah stuff, the, the big yeah. The, the the biggest crime the worst crime known to man is getting rid of the mexi melt yes yeah oh my god that was your, that was their first mistake mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they also got rid of the mexican pizza <laughs> that is, wasn't this that is a, like years ago? <laughs> What's that? But just wasn't that years ago, or did no, they bring no, no, back no. the Mexican pizza again? Oh no! They, well, they must have brought it back because I was having oh, okay. it up until the day they got rid of it. Yeah, like anything oh. they used a tostada, the grilled, uh, the the grilled, the loaded grillers, anything that had the little like um, mini potatoes in it, they just got mm. rid of all the good stuff. I forgot about the mini potatoes. Anyway, I just said Taco Bell, I could eat it again. Okay, we gotta move on. Um, I was gonna say, they also haven't been supplying with Dr. Pepper because they've been not producing it as much because of the pandemic, and I'm just, I'm just, it's been a rough year, and it's just making it a little bit harder, okay? All right. Yeah, if not, it, yeah, I mean, of all the things that are bad in the last year, that's probably gotta, that's number one, I would say, right? <laughs> Well, like, yeah. you were saying that, oh, kids have to wait 12 months to see what happens to Peter Parker and Aunt May. Uh, I don't care about the kids having to wait 12 <laughs> I months I gotta wait that. 12 months to get Dr. Pepper from Toggle Bell. I just want to leave right. my house. <laughs> and, and Baja Blast, yeah. Uh, let's let's I, keep things in perspective here. Look, if they stop producing Baja Blast, then what is the point anymore? No, I right? think they did, didn't they, Julie? No more Baja oh, no. Blast. I have what? A- I have a fridge yeah. full of it. Stop. Well, you might as well end no, it no, no, now, no. Becca. I, I, okay, here's the thing with Mountain Dew and Baja Blast. Do you know, they're purposely Uh-oh. taking it away, and then there's this, like, they're they're acting like there's this grassroots campaign of, uh, like, we want the Baja Blast to stay. You know where all these t-shirts are coming from? TacoBell.com. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> they're the ones making the t-shirts saying, of course. keep Baja Blast around this uh, like eh. anyways yeah, you know, I'd buy one I would oh, too they're all sold sorry. out I just yeah, read I know I, they are yeah. I just googled that Baja Blast is the first time a beverage company and a fast food restaurant have created a proprietary beverage specifically chemically formulated to taste best for the food and let G.I. Jolie and I can attest it worked oh yeah wow Right? There's certain Taco Bells where they serve alcohol in the States and you can put alcohol in your Baja Blast. Apparently Whoa. it's the best. Oh yeah, it tastes the best with like mezcal or tequila, the wedge <laughs> of lemon. It's just the nectar of the gods. Anyway. Absinthe, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but don't light it on fire. Like when, when right. you're doing the fire thing, keep them separate. You don't want to lose your eyebrows. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. no, I was well, I say, well do it might be for your safety because yes, the way Michael worded it was was yes. chemically engineered to taste yeah. good with Taco Bell. No, so I was going to say. I was going to say. I'm kind of I'm kind of scared scared to light a match around a right. can of Baja Blast. There's a warning I'm on not, the side that says. I want to live. I, I want to feel something again. <laughs> Do not taunt Baja Blast. Right. Anyway, anyway Spider-Man. Okay, back to yeah. Spidey. Okay, so Josh, do you recommend it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, I give it a mild recommendation. Like mm-hmm. I said, the way I recommend mild Taco Bell. Mild sauce recommendation. Yeah, there you go, there you go. <laughs> Thank you. Not a masterpiece, but it's good, so yeah. I and think that, that we got to keep up the tradition, too. Can we, uh, Becca, do you have the comic open in front of you? 
I do. Can you flip to original page 18 for me? I can. Oh. <laughs> I know what you're talking We're about. We're going to need a review before we go, too. Oh, like two out of ten. Two? What? Oh, you're talking about this. Sorry, I was looking at the fox's butt. No. Oh, no that's, like a, that's like an eight out of ten butt. Yeah, okay. That's oh, yeah, Phil. have a special segment on asses. Wait a second. <laughs> Hold on. He only has one butt cheek. Well, it's, it's, yeah. it's because uh, it's like on a profile. Yeah, but... Why is the crack so high? In six out of ten. I I there's I too many questions about this one. Like whenever he wears the he, whenever he wears the black costume, he's got a hungry bum for sure. Like this one rides <laughs> you know up. Black cat made it. She made it that way on purpose. <laughs> yeah, she definitely did. She's doing you know it what? a favor. All black everything was meant to not wear underwear underneath. I'm just saying. Ooh, I hope he's got a dancer oh, belt but under spandex? that. Spandex? Yeah. Like. Uh, and imagine don't wear the dancer belts. literally oh. swinging around the city, Joe Lee. I don't mm. think so. He's wearing underwear. He's or gotta maybe, be. Or maybe a dancer's belt. You never know. Something. Because, I mean, like, he's in New York, right? So that means even though he's pretty dumb, he's pretty cultured. So I'm sure he's got friends in the theater. <laughs> True. Yeah, he probably he probably swung by the, the theater department at, at the university. Yeah. I mean, on page six, we got a good Peter Parker butt, too. Page six, huh? Those hmm. jeans. Okay, okay. Okay. So, what's the tally at? Like a million? <laughs> <laughs> keeping, keeping tabs on these butts. I mean, also, Silver Sable's in this comic, and they didn't, like, emphasize her butt, which gives them points towards the butts, because they did emphasize the butt on Spider-Man. They oh, could have easily emphasized right. her butt. Oh, original... Well, they did, they did- they gave her a very low-cut top, V-neck. Goes all the way yeah. down to her head. That's true. The zipper does end at her belly button. Right. Fair, There's no so. zipper there. That's how it stays always. I mean, I don't know what I don't know what the club scene is like in Simcaria, but it must be pretty risque that she's just, you know, she's just wearing the deepest of V's out in public, or like just mm-hmm. casu- casually fighting in it. Yeah, yeah, like business meeting, deep V. Grocery shopping, deep V. Almost Meeting assassinated, deep, deep V. <laughs> she does me. almost get stabbed, too. That yeah. happens. Yeah. Right down to the belly button. I admire that sort of bravery and, uh, and comfort level. Yeah, like, what's the bra situation got to be in that? Because like, Zero. She's, like, under 25. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's she's got, like, those, uh, those pasties that you could, like, stick up and, like, gives you lift. Yeah, do you know what I was thinking, too, is just based on original 10, it's funny that we slide into this kind of a conversation because the last panel on that page, I was like, this woman is like an Olympian. Yes. She looks right. like she looks mm-hmm. like a like a top end athlete, even the, the pose where she throws chai, which to me is tea. So I don't know what she's throwing. Yeah, uh, Phil, do you know? Uh, did Don't you use nunchucks? Sure, yeah. yeah, I'm not familiar with Chai the Weapon, but, you know. I mean, she just looks so fit and, like, like strong. Oh, She's, <laughs> I, it's like, I just Googled Chai Weapon, and, and the first thing that comes up is Silver Sable's Chai. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. yeah my, me too, the Marvel database. I was like, wow. no, it doesn't. And then I Googled it, too. I was like, oh. 
Oh, yeah, wow. it does. So you're right, Julie. They don't actually exist oh, in reality. There are things on the belt. Like yeah, the, the little, little M's. Because a chai is a sword. Uh, I guess. Oh. It's also called a da. Uh, DHA. Okay, I've seen that. Oh, First yeah. First appearance Amazing Spider Man 265. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> All right. So where were we? Uh, I think we were done with this. Issue, I think we're, we? we were moving on to spectacular. Yeah, right. we were talking about Taco Bell. So yeah, okay, I think we were done. yeah, okay. <laughs> so we now ended, we ended we're on to the tally. main event, folks. Main event. <laughs> okay. So now we're going to talk mm. about Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man One Hundred and Three. Like I said earlier in the episode, this is the first comic book by Peter David, who at the time was working in the Marvel marketing department. Um, he, listen to this. Here's a funny trivia for you guys. Mm-hmm. Peter David is the guy who, from Marvel, representing Marvel Comics, met with uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter, Peter Laird. Do you guys know who that is? Yes. Who? The creators of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. And as, as a representative of Marvel Comics, he offered them a deal where Marvel would basically buy the turtles, own them, lock, stock, and barrel, take all the profits, and Peter and Kevin would suck their dicks. <laughs> and Peter and Kevin <laughs> Wait, said, what? No, that, that's an, they didn't, he didn't actually say that. But basically, Aww. yeah, basically Peter David was <laughs> the guy... Don't say stuff like that. <laughs> I'm like, what? They're gay? Get yeah, super no, excited. No. <laughs> basically, he was the representative of Marvel that gave them the deal, offering to buy the turtles, Peter and Kevin said, fuck you. And because of that, they're billionaires now, which is awesome, right? So mm-hmm. anyway, he was the guy. I wish no I was a billionaire every time I told someone, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, so somehow he roped his way into writing. And Jim Shooter, the editor-in-chief at the time, didn't actually think he was good enough to be writing Spider-Man. But he was fired soon after this, so Jim Shooter's opinion doesn't matter. But anyway, I like Peter David. A lot of people like Peter David. So it's been a long time since I've reread this comic. And if it wasn't good, I was going to end the podcast. But luckily, it was good. I have a few qualms with it. But uh, I'm just going to give a quick summary here. So basically, in a very unusual opening scene for a Spider-Man comic of this time, we open up with Spider-Man and Captain Gene DeWolf of the New York Police Department sort of interrogating this kid in a hospital. And so basically the whole story is told in flashback and we find out that this guy, and remember I can't read because I don't have my glasses, but help me out. Is it Franklin? Whatever Um, his name is. You guys figured uh, it. I don't know. Ashley? Um, No, Yeah, one of those names. Ashley? Yeah, Ashley. 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 No, 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 it's not Ashley. Ashley, Thomas, Thomas, and and Franklin, I think. So this is Franklin. So basically through flashback, we find out that these three college kids kind of get this idea that they're going to try to um, kind of outsmart uh, a superhero. And they're trying to think, okay, so which superhero should we pick? And then there's a kind of a, a parody scene where the guy quotes Batman's origin. He's like, well, superheroes are a superstitious cowardly lot. And then he looks out the window and he sees a bat flying in. He's like, we shall go after. And they're like, right, sure, you bet. Um, Ash, huh. So they're like, okay, we're not going to do Batman. Plus, he doesn't exist. Uh, okay, how about Spider-Man? So they decide they're going to target Spider-Man. So they basically start tracking him down and mapping out where he swings, you know, 
<laughs> where he does his crime fighting, where he does his web swinging. They figure out he's a connection with um, Peter Parker and with J. Jonah Jameson. And uh, again, we're cutting back and forth between these kids and this kid in the present and flashing back to explaining what's happening. So then we find out that they create this fictional supervillain named The Blaze, who mm. is going to um, almost send these like Zodiac-esque uh, messages to the Daily Bugle like taunting him, like, Spider-Man, your time is near, the blaze, right? And then other things like that. And then meanwhile, at the same time, there's this other subplot happening with, like, the mayor, I think, who's talking about, um, you know, renovating uh, neighborhoods and blah, blah, blah. And then at the same time he's doing that, they they burn these words on the wall, Spider-Man, you are doomed, the blaze. But we see that it's just these kids doing it. So anyway, so then we find out that these these... Uh, college kids create this costume and they record this video basically taunting Spider-Man. I know who you are, wall crawler, and I'm coming for you. So they, so then basically now the Daily Bugle is all on, you know, they're all paranoid, worried that they're going to be attacked. And so when one of these, uh, sorry, Franklin, he goes in as this tour. Oh, no, I think they all do. And they pretend mm -hmm. to be part of this group that's taking photos of the staff of the Daily Bugle, Peter Parker catches them and he gets all pissed off and like kind of storms out. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's kind of fishy. Maybe there's a connection between Peter Parker and Spider-Man. So they create this, uh, what is it called? Like an effigy. They mm -hmm. hang this effigy and it looks exactly like Peter Parker, half Peter Parker, half Spider-Man. So Spider-Man's first instinct is to think, oh my God, they know that I'm Peter Parker. So then they cut back to the present and Gene DeWolf is, um, you know, questioning the guy and he's like, She's like, hilarious, why such a bizarre effigy? And the kid's like, well, Parker seemed to have the closest ties to Spider-Man. We made it half and half to symbolize those ties. So then Spider-Man in his thought bubble is like, whew, so they don't know that I'm Spider-Man. So anyway, so then we cut back and we find out there's a new development in their plan that a, a real supervillain named Blaze is suddenly on the scene. And he, you know, he's... Um, now he's taunting Spider-Man. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Who's this real guy named Blaze? So he comes onto the scene, fights Spider-Man. He's shooting fire at them. And basically what ends up happening is, is the real Blaze, uh, through shooting his fighter at Spider-Man, ends up burning one of the kids. Uh, like third degree burns. He's fully on fire. So we cut back to the present and we realize that that kid is the one that's in the hospital. And we're like, oh my God, what a tragedy. So they're like, okay, well, you know what? We're done questioning you. You can go home now. So then he starts to walk out. And as soon as he walks out, we realize that the kid who was burned in the hospital bed is actually wearing makeup. He takes it all off. And then in a somewhat anticlimactic reveal, because the art does not really punch at home, we find out that the guy who was pretending to be Blaze the whole time is actually the human torch from the Fantastic Four. So it was all just a ruse because basically the one kid felt guilty about them, uh, you know, concocting this whole plan. And so he decided to contact the Human Torch and basically figure out a way to trick these kids into kind of giving themselves up. And so then as the other two kids are walking out, they're talking about, okay, so, you know, what's going to happen? Are we going to go to jail? And then the, the smarter, like the ringleaders, like they have nothing on us, misdemeanors at most. <laughs> easily plea bargained down and then by the way the whole time i was reading the story i thought this reminds me of the leopold Loeb murders which inspired the movie rope and then sure enough the ringleader references the leopold Loeb murders without naming them but he basically says uh 
does it say here? Uh, in the 1920s, college students brutally murdered someone just for kicks, and they got off relatively light. So basically, he thinks that they're going to go away with it. Then just as the elevator's closing, he says, Just how well protected do you think the president is anyway? <laughs> wah, 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 implying that that's going to be their next target. The end. That's it. So, I'll give my quick two-second review. I'll just say... I thought it was just as good as I remembered. Again, it's really nothing like pretty much any Spider-Man we've comic we've read in the last little while. Um, mm -hmm. There's a few weak spots that I don't like, a few like convenient plot twists, a few convenient things. The art is decent, not spectacular, but it's good. But overall, I can definitely see that, uh, in my opinion, I think Peter David was doing something completely different from everyone else at that time. And I can see why he went on to, you know such good things later on. But I want to know, Phil, what your impression of, the, of this comic is. Uh, I, I really liked it a lot. Um, I, I love the 80s references. Uh, of course, this was written in the 80s, so, <laughs> I mean, it was probably meant to appeal to the kids, you know, like the Beverly Hills Cop, the Cabbage Patch Kids, yada, yada, all of that, you know, so it hit me with, like, a massive uh, bump in nostalgia. Um, right, right, so that right. was kind of cool to, to experience that. <clears throat> I haven't felt that in a long time. But, uh, I mean, story-wise, though, I mean, I thought, uh, you know, he did a really good job. I, I thought the the way that it was framed was just like a, a classic sort of detective story. And then, you know, right. uh, the writer does a really good job of, like, uh, building suspense, you know, by throwing you off with the, the multiple letters and then, like, Spidey's insecurity about his identity and so on. I thought it was really good. And uh, I, I know what you mean about the art. It's not the greatest art, but for some reason, like, it really pulled me in. I don't know if it's just the composition or just the way that it's it's paced. I, I really don't know, but uh, it, it definitely drew me in. Like, I felt like it was uh, it had a strong narrative vibe. Yeah, well, Rick, Rich Buckler is kind of known. He's a somewhat popular artist, but he's also kind of, he's known as a swipe artist, which means he kind of ripped off a lot of panels from other people. But mm -hmm. I think the inker here, Armando Gill, or Jill, he's also responsible for giving the art a lot of that sheen. Like, you know, a lot of the detail, I think, is, is from him. So it could be a combination of both of them. And I do think the art is good throughout, but an example of a weakness I'll give is, like I said, when they do reveal that it's the human torch that's blaze, there's no reveal. It's just, he's just standing there. It's a tiny little panel on original page 20. Would have been nice to have him, like, take off a mask or like come out behind a door but no he's just standing there so I think that was a, a storytelling weakness but otherwise I definitely did like the art yeah um okay so Josh what do you think you've you've been reading Spidey comics for 81 months now or 81 weeks <laughs> what do you think of this one <laughs> <laughs> Jesus um yeah this one was uh very interesting in the way that they told the story it's a pretty mm. simple one but kind of telling it um uh as like a story after the fact like after all of the events is really nice and um it feels like we're like at the beginning it almost feels like we're at, in the same room as them and like right. we're in the same boat as spidey because we're not sure what the heck's going on or like why they're in the hospital we're right, trying to right, also right. figure out what's going on so uh when he's retelling the story throughout the entire issue we're kind of piecing the entire thing together too and it's it's pretty fun um i will say uh peter is kind of a 
dick in this <laughs> issue, huh? Yeah. Like, he's just kind of a little asshole in this one. Uh-huh. Like, there's there's just, like, like at the end, he, he's talking about wanting to grab the two kids and dangle them right, out the window right. by I their ankles. Yeah. Um, oh, when they get the envelope addressed to Spider-Man at the Bugle, he's talking about how he hopes it's She-Hulk's nudes. <laughs> it's just that. like it's just so weird yeah. and not peter parker right 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 um i i think that the the dialogue and the story for the most part is written well but mm-hmm. i don't think that they wrote peter well okay yeah. okay yeah all right uh gi julie what do you think what's your impression of this one um i didn't like this one at all while i was reading it i would this really? one was the most confusing one um yeah i i couldn't tell i i i didn't realize that they were recanting you know what i mean mm-hmm. um i was like well who's this and what's that and i must have missed the part where suddenly there was an actual man called the blaze because i was like wait, uh. a, wait a second what is going on he's <laughs> supposed to be not real why does he have fire Mm. I don't understand. And then, uh, so when the, the, the guy in the hospital s- starts to peel his face back, I'm like, what the f- is going on? I don't. Uh. Yeah. I had to go back. And then when I, when I went back to see what was happening, I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'm still mad. <laughs> <laughs> like this one was probably the most, um, this one was probably the one that I would have liked the most out of the three of them if it weren't for the fact that it was kind of <sighs> muddy. And I don't know well, what, what the obstacle was for me. You know, here's the thing. I do think the art is good, but the art is not as clear as the other two issues we read. Like, the mm-hmm. storytelling is not as clear. Like, maybe if there was a visual cue with Blaze, like, if his costume was different... Like, why did it have to be exactly the same? Maybe it's a little bit different, so you go, oh, okay, this is what Blaze would look like if he was real. But it's pretty, as far as I know, it's the exact same, right, as the fictional one that they created. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just kind of think it's sort of um, idiotic, is the word I'll use for now, that there's, you know, three assholes sitting around at university going... We're just like so much better than all of this. Um, how can we entertain ourselves? Like they have their heads so far up their asses that this is what they're doing. I just. Wait, wait, wait. I mean, it's pretty realistic. Have you met boys in university? <laughs> right. Yeah. Wait, but also I have to point out, Julie, that not only was this in, in, you know inspired by a real story, but weren't there three geeks in Buffy the Vampire Slayer that did exactly this? That made Buffy's We're not life... going to talk about Buffy. Oh, we are. Spider-Man. We are. And they made her life a living hell. Isn't that the same type of idea? Um, yeah, but they were funny. They, they weren't... Oh. I thought, okay, if we're going to make comparisons, the trio, as they're referred to, are actually <laughs> funny. One oh. of them turns out to be super evil, and they we could pull comparisons, but these guys just seem like they're full of themselves. Like, they're so much better than everybody else that this is, you know, this is right. it. The, like, well, let's let's sit around and figure out ways we can torment Spider-Man because that's what we need to be doing. 
like sh- don't you have like a philosophy um exam that you should be studying for i don't know like <laughs> <laughs> okay uh bex luther what do you think uh, I'm gonna agree with Josh on this one. I the characterization of Peter just kind of threw me off of it, like completely. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I was excited, like I was. I honestly I read it this morning instead of doing my job because I was like intrigued with it. <laughs> <laughs> and I I just like I was like oh I I wonder what's happening. And then when when Blaze ended up being real, I immediately for some reason was like oh. Um, they imagined him so hard he became real. Ah, cool, cool. Um, and then when it was not that, I was like, oh, that's not as cool as what I thought it was gonna be. I was like, oh, there's no demons involved in this story? It's just three jerks and Johnny Storm? (laughs) Cool. So four jerks? Hey, do you- Yeah, so four jerks! (laughs) Do you think that Blaze is in that Spider-Man, uh, phone app? Video <gasps> game. Let's look. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, is that all you have to say, Becca? Uh, no, no, no. Hold on. Welcome back like, to the segment where we all Google things. Right. Where we all Google the Spider-Man Mobile Runner game <laughs> from 2014. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I just yeah, I agree with Jolie. It was really muddy. Um, they were trying to make these guys seem like pretentious, smart jerks, but like none of it. I don't know. It just didn't really click for me. Mm. I was like very interested in it, and then the end, I was like, oh, I don't care. Never mind. No. Mm. It just kind of seemed like a throwaway. Like the thing with Peter, it just it kind of really pissed me off how not accurate his character was. Mm-hmm. And knowing that this is the writer's first time, it makes sense, and it makes me feel like he hasn't read much Spider-Man before. Mm, uh, Not to, like, gatekeep. <laughs> I, I, he probably has, but yeah, I get your point. But it's just, like, so, like, oh, Spider-Man wants to teach them a lesson by hanging them up by their ankles. It's like, no, why would he want to do that? Right. He would just, like, make a dumb joke about them. The, and, right. like, they just taught him a lesson. <laughs> well, yes. that's the whole point of this issue, right? You know, so. the thing is, I mean, Technically, the editor, his job is to, like, you know, kind of, like, you know, curtail little anomalies like that. Of course, the fact that the editor was 25, maybe that's why, you know, he let things like that slide. I have no idea. But it was a different time, right? It, it, one of the running gags in um, in Flea Market Fantasy is the ridiculously young age all of these guys were. Like, Jerry Conway inherited... Amazing Spider-Man from Stan Lee when he was 19. Oh my god. Yeah, it's like depressing because these guys, like, the the, the comics field was so just like, you know, ramshackle and just thrown together. Like, that whoever could, you know, you know, make their way to New York pretty much got a job at Marvel or DC. So it was a whole different world back then. But anyway, not to take anything away from Jim Owsley because I love him. And not to take anything away from Peter David because I love him. But, you know. That's just my thing. Uh, Phil, did you think Peter, De- or Peter Parker was an asshole? Yeah, and uh, it's funny because <laughs> uh, when, I, when I first read through it, it, it seemed like he was doing it on purpose to me. Like he was in on the gag, right? Uh, there's, okay. that, there's that panel. I think that's what threw me. There's a panel on original page 22 where 
uh, he's talking to Torch, and he says, do it for 50 bucks. And he's, oh, like, yeah, talking. right, right. And right, that right, threw right. me, and I, I was thought, okay, well, Peter's in on the gag, so that's why he's acting like this. I didn't think that it was out of character, but, um, I, I, you know, I obviously misinterpreted it at first. But, yeah, I, I mean, I would totally agree that he's out of character if, if, mm-hmm. if he actually meant what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even before when he's um, he's in the bugle and there's a tour going around, and right. it's those three kids, and he like just goes off on them for taking a picture. Right, yeah. it's right. so That's... strange. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like like P- Peter would not be confrontational. Be like, "Hey, you, yeah, you, why are you taking pictures here?" Right, like, like who it's is so Rose? Yeah, I know. weird. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's so in his head about everything that he kind of just like acknowledges it for us, and then like will rush out suddenly to have him look directly at the reader and then that was really jarring when they pulled that trick where the frame was the camera like the panel was framed Mm -hmm. like they that we were the photographer and then peter looks at us that was even more jarring it was like not only Mm -hmm. does this not feel characteristic of anybody at the daily bugle this is not characteristic of peter parker and this is not characteristic of spider-man stories Mm -hmm. like it would have been it would this probably would have been more successful had there been more time taken to see how you could how the writer at least could marry their style of storytelling which is a little more cerebral is that what mm-hmm. it's trying to be um and then how how do you get that spider-man fun in there you know and there was no spidey fun it was just like jerk spidey no no mm-hmm. butts you know what I mean there's just n- there's nothing hmm. there to kind of like firmly ground us in the same world. And and that's probably why, like, I missed a whole page of where he brings in the human torch. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that's one thing I, I do have to point out in this issue. There's no Aunt May. There's no Norman Osborn. There's no subplots, right? It could pretty mm-hmm. much fit in anywhere. And that's kind of a good thing. And I guess it's, it's kind of a strength and a weakness because it doesn't feel like a regular issue of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. It's also possible Peter David didn't know where this issue would fill would kind of fit in, so he just wrote it right and just submitted it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, it's like a re- it's a really good switch 'em up story. It's clever, mm-hmm. but maybe it deserved um, an artist who could tell the story more accurately. Clearly, yeah, a little more, cl- yeah, a little more clearly. Um, mm-hmm. at- because that's and that and that's the thing about comics that we always you know talk about is that not just because you can draw because this person can clear is clearly an artist right just because you're an artist and just because you can draw doesn't mean you can draw comics right comics are like one of the hardest things to draw like Mm -hmm. i would paint landscapes for the rest of my life if it meant that i didn't have to try to tempt comics because it's the storytelling and it's the mm-hmm. attention to detail that like it, it if, if it's done poorly or if it's just um if it's not done with care like for instance this book um it just if everything falls apart right 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 yeah huh yeah, go ahead realistically this the, the this comic i should have when I opened it up and I saw the cover, I should have recognized this cover 
because some of the things in this comic are pretty iconic, almost. Like, the, the, the cover on this is incredible. Mm. Yeah, it's great. And it's very striking. But then when you scroll down to the actual panel where Peter comes across the effigy of him and Peter Parker, that should have been, like, a page spread. That should right. have been, like, such a dramatic reveal. But instead, it's this very small square where he just is looking at it. Mm-hmm. it and like, and then you see that it's kind of burning in the feet, and then it just explodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that should have been a panel that's, like, super iconic. Is the half-and-half Spider-Man, Peter Parker setting ablaze. Mm-hmm. But it's not. And, the, and it's a shame. Yeah, and the, that's the great thing about having comics is that part of the subtext, part of the subtext, can exist in the imagery, and one of those pieces of subtext that could have existed was the idea that Johnny, if when we see um, Johnny Storm's version of the Blaze, that there's variations, but very small, like something right. that you wouldn't pick up on because you're reading. But exactly. if you were to yeah, but if you were to go back after finding out that it was him all along as this new blaze, like this powered blaze, you'd be like, oh, he, oh, there's small variations in the costume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, or even have a yeah. moment where like, like they realize that the costume was stolen, and they say mm. something like, "How could this have happened?" The only person who had like. like the doors were locked and it doesn't look like anybody broke in how could the costume costume have just gone missing so then it's kind of like a hint that it was probably one of the one of them that stole it Mm -hmm. right so it's like it it gives you a second to like breathe and realize like okay the costume is gone and then and then when the actual like blaze shows up you're like okay shit things are kind of getting real and so when he just shows up i was also confused i had to go and read that but they were in the library doing some research i think at that point and then yeah then all of a sudden i was like wait why why did they put the costume on in the library and then Mm -hmm. like i I, yeah i was i was lost there for like a quick second and had to go back and reread it Mm -hmm. so yeah, it, it, it's strange. I feel like there's always, like, in these issues, if it's not, like, a huge problem, it, it, there seems to be always, like, a logical way around it, but it's mm-hmm. lazy sometimes where it, it's just, like, oh, well, we only have a certain amount of pages, so we'll just have them walk by in the library, I guess. Right, To right, tease right, them. Right. Like, it, 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 it would be better if it was, like, in a showdown or something. Like, mm-hmm. they could have even had, like, uh, like a, a note where they're going to go meet up with Spider-Man and tell him the truth, and then the actual Blaze shows up then, and they're like, wait, what the heck's going on? You know what I mean? Like, right, I don't know. Right, it, right. it just seemed lazy to even do it at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. I, th- I think that's the problem. I think it's it's more upsetting than if it was just a bad issue, mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Because it's like, oh, there's so much potential. The writer is actually good. The artist is actually good. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And well, I'm, I am was, like, excited about the story, too, at the beginning and pretty invested. And it is a fun story still. I think it just has some, like, weird, glaring faults that doesn't I mean, make it, like, a fantastic one for me. It could be... Because it's the first comic you ever wrote. It could For sure. Be that. For sure. Yeah. But no, but um, yeah, you know, you're right. And, and I think the funny thing about comic writers, most of them, 
it seems like they kind of make this stuff as they go along. Like even Mark Wade, I was watching an interview with him today, and he basically said he doesn't plan anything out. He just makes it up as he goes along. And unfortunately, sometimes that can be good and sometimes it can be bad, in my opinion. You know, I, I, I personally, I mean, for example, I mean, we all know the, the famous Stan Lee thing about the Marvel style of writing, which would be Stan Lee and Jack Kirby would talk on the phone. They would plan out the plot of a comic. Jack Kirby would go draw it, change half of it, give it back to Stan Lee, and then Stan Lee would just fill in the dialogue. That's how all uh, Marvel comics were created in the 60s. But this issue is clearly an example of planning it out. Even though he made mistakes along the way, Peter David clearly had the whole story in his head and thought, okay, what's the best way I can tell this story? And there's no way that he could have just, you know, given the artist a, a quick summary and had the artist, you know, return it in this form. There's no way, right? Mm -hmm. So clearly he was planning it out. But yeah, there's definitely some flaws and weaknesses along the way, for sure. But hopefully those get ironed out in the near future because mm -hmm. Peter David will be writing Spidey for the next three or four years. Uh, at least one of the Spidey books. So yeah, uh, overall, obviously I recommend this. Um, I feel like there's been a Roger Stern-sized hole in my heart for the past 20 <laughs> or so episodes of, of Spider-Cast. And now it's been filled by Peter David. And, uh, you know, again, there'll be some bumps along the road, but I think he's a really good writer. So I think we're in for, in for some fun. Uh, Phil, do you recommend this issue? Yeah, I, I still I still recommend it for sure. Yeah, I mean, Woo. you know, there are definitely some, as you guys have pointed out, some some glaring inconsistencies. But uh, I still think it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting issue and, and it, it held my attention for sure. Awesome. All right. Josh, you recommend this one? You know, it's so strange. I really enjoyed reading this one as a Spider-Man fan. It was like mm -hmm. a nice, fresh story. I don't think this this would be something I would recommend to somebody who is not familiar with Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. But for somebody who is, I think it's it's a fun, like, refreshing story. All right. G.I. Jolie? Um, I will not hiss like Josh did. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> it was more like an intake of breath. Uh, but... I will recommend it just because it's it's kind of it's different from other Spider-Man comics. Right. Um, it's going in a different direction. It, you can feel where it's going. It's not right. the best, but this if this is where it starts, it can only fingers crossed for the next three years get better from here. So there you go. I'll recommend it. All right, Bex Luther, what do you think? Um, yeah. Okay. Sure. I, <laughs> 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 Say no more. Stop interrupting me. Um, no, it's 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 a good like one-off too because it's all kind of all in one little piece, so you can just kind of. There's no Aunt May storyline where she it's like, oh, what's been going on there? Mary Jane doesn't pop up, and it's like, oh we're on again off again or whatever mm -hmm. it's all so it'd be easy to pick up and it's it is interesting and i'm kind of more interested to see how this writer continues right so i guess i would say read it but i'm waiting for the next one <laughs> well i also have some good news guys blaze will come back so. oh he's gotta be in that mobile game then i'm Maybe. looking i can't find him <laughs> <laughs> 
So anyway, we definitely want to thank G.I. Jolie and Bex Luther for joining us again. Thank oh, you so much. You are welcome. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, <laughs> and we want to thank Phil Premble for joining us for the second time. We'll definitely would like we'd like to have you back again. Uh, back again, Phil. Oh, for sure. Yeah, thanks for having me again. And uh, yeah, I'd be happy to join you guys again. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. All right, Josh, you can take it from here. Yeah, we also want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Uh, it really helps when you leave us a review over on Apple Podcast or when you drop us a line on Twitter at, at @hctspidercast. Um, please let us know what you guys think about the uh, the episodes and the issues we're we're talking about. Uh, we really want to, you know, have some feedback and and keep this comics conversation going. That's right. And join us next week. Uh, we will be, you know. Staying on our regularly scheduled Spidey reviews, we'll be reviewing uh, Web of Spider-Man with Dr. Octopus, Amazing Spider-Man featuring Frogman and the Toad, and <gasps> yep, and Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man featuring uh, the Rocket Racer, and our special guest will be Michelle Kistner for the first time ever on our show. So that's going to be a lot of fun, so please join us, and until next Monday... No. Spider friends. Eat your crackers. Go for it! <laughs> <laughs>